Tonight we're looking for paradise. Wouldn't it be nice if we could go to paradise this week? That we wouldn't have to wait. Do you know you can get to paradise? You can get to paradise, I don't know how long it takes, about eight hours or something. You can go to paradise in about eight hours. Um, you know what that place is called? Surface Paradise, right? It's called Surface Paradise. It's the Gold Coast. It's just up the road there. And I guess from this distance, when you look at that, you think, wow, that would be a great place to be. Maybe that really would be paradise. Except, maybe if you look a little closer, we discover that people still get sick there in that paradise. People still die in that paradise. There's still crime in that paradise. In fact, there's a bit more crime there than in some of the other suburbs that are north and south of that place. Right? There's a lot of drug use there, prostitution there. There's a lot of miserable people in paradise. So that's not the paradise that we're looking for. Right? It looks good from a distance, but when you examine it more closely, you discover that that's not quite the paradise that we're looking for. Time magazine had this cover some years ago, Does Heaven Exist? And, uh, you know, the Bible speaks about three heavens. Did you know that? So where the birds fly and the clouds float, the Bible calls that heaven. Did you know that? It calls that heaven. That would be the first heaven. Then where the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets and the galaxies, where they are, that's also called heaven. They're called the heavens. That would be the second heaven. And then the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, that he had a vision where he was caught up to the third heaven, the paradise of God. And so the Bible talks about these three uh, different heavens and it's the paradise of God where we really want to go. When it talks about does heaven exist, we're not talking about where the clouds float and the birds fly. We're talking about the paradise of God, the dwelling place of of God, where God is. That's where we want to be. And uh, we're going to talk about a number of things tonight. We want to find out what does the Bible reveal about this place? What is heaven really like? You know, heaven is a word that we associate with good things. You know, there's even uh, an ice cream called heaven on a stick. Did you know that? There's actually an ice cream called heaven on a stick. And you know, you'll hear love songs where people were saying, I was with my loved one and we were in heaven. But what does the Bible say about heaven? First of all, I want you to know that when we talk about heaven, what God has prepared for those that love him, it's in two phases. Okay, So we remember when we talked about the millennium that when Jesus returns, we go to paradise beyond the stars for a thousand years. Most of us have settled for a couple of weeks vacation. But the Bible says we're going to have a thousand years in paradise beyond the stars. We're going to go there. And then secondarily, after the thousand years, there's going to be heaven on earth. And God is going to recreate the world and there'll be heaven on earth where we will spend eternity. So you might say, well, a thousand years is great, but I thought we had eternity. Well, we do. But we spend a thousand years in heaven in the paradise beyond the stars, and then finally there'll be heaven on earth. You remember the Bible verse where Jesus was saying, he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. That is going to take place, but it takes place after the millennium. So there are 
two, these two phases and it begins when Jesus returns. In John chapter 14, 1 to 3, Jesus talks about this. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He is gone, it says, in my Father's house. He's gone there to prepare a place for you. Where is the Father? Our Father which art in heaven. Right? So Jesus has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us. And we've read these verses before, but it's great to read them because we get to visualise what's going to happen on that day. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We meet him in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And that's when paradise begins because he's going to take us home to this paradise beyond the stars and we're going to look at a little bit uh, about that. The Bible tells us in Revelation 20 verse 4, they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. When we look at the Bible and the Bible talks about the day of the Lord and when it's talking about that in reference to the end of the world, it seems to be that the day of the Lord is a thousand years long. Why do I say that? Because the Bible describes events surrounding Jesus' return as the day of the Lord. Then there are the events when we're in heaven and then there are the events when God destroys sin and sinners in the final judgment of the wicked and that's also called the day of the Lord. And so it seems that the day of the Lord is a thousand years long in that sort of description. Revelation 21 verse 2 After this thousand years that we spend in paradise beyond the stars, it says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so the new Jerusalem would come down after a thousand years and there is a new heaven and a new earth. And in fact, Isaiah also says this. It says in Revelation as well. But in Isaiah 65, 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and God will restore paradise. You know, there's another passage that talks about Jesus in Zechariah 14, verse 4. And I guess that this, when the New Jerusalem comes down, Jesus must come down and touch the Mount of Olives because it says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley and into which this new Jerusalem will sit. Now remember, this isn't the second coming of Christ. This is, if you please, the third coming of Christ. Where the new Jerusalem, and do you realise, I don't know if you realise this, you remember where God said to Abraham, all this land I will give to you and your descendants? The promised land. The new Jerusalem actually will come down and sit on that piece of territory that was the promised land. It actually occupy that land. And so God will bring to pass that promise of the promised land. Of course, the whole planet will be ours to rejoice over. 
You know, the Bible says that he will create a new heavens and a new earth. What does that mean? I mentioned before that where the clouds float and the birds fly, that's called the heavens, and even, you know, the space where the stars and the moon and the sun are. Do you know we've created a lot of junk on planet earth and even outside of planet earth that God needs to clean up the planet? I mean, we can probably see it in the world, right? We can see where there's a lot of pollution in the world, but even outside of the planet, do you realise there are over 500,000 pieces of space debris the size of a marble or larger, travelling at speeds of up to 17,500 miles per hour or 28,000 K? I mean, they're zooming around the planet, these little bits, fragments of metal that we've put up there, and... uh, they're really concerned about all this space junk because they're sending satellites up there and, and other things and they realise that if, if they get struck by some of this space junk, that might be curtains for that particular space program. They're, they're worried about the International Space Station. So I'm guessing that when God cleans up the earth, he'll also clean up space as well, right? The heavens and the earth. And the Bible tells us that. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. We'll come back to that verse in a moment. When we return to planet Earth and God creates a new heaven and a new earth, what is it going to be like? The Bible tells us what God's plan is for his people. And a lot of this material is found in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah verse chapter, uh, sorry, 60, verse 18, it says, Violence shall no longer be heard in your land. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Neither wasting nor desolate, uh, sorry, no, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. You know, violence shall no longer be heard in your land. There won't be any need for police sirens in heaven. Now I'm talking about here on the new earth, and I'm 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 now describing heaven on earth. You understand? But in the new earth. You won't hear the police siren going by. You won't need a police force. You won't need an army. You won't need a hospital. You won't need ambulances. All the things that we have here, there are so many things that we won't, just won't need up there. In Isaiah 11, 6, I say up there, I mean down here, on the new earth. 11, uh, Isaiah 11, 6, it says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and a little child shall lead them. Think of Ben and his little children. He's got lots of them. (laughs) But a little child is going to lead these animals. The animals are going to be tame. There are going to be animals there. I mean, there were animals in the first earth, right? But the animals are going to be tame. They're not going to be ripping each other apart. It's going to be a wonderful thing. You know, have you ever been... uh, you ever been in one of those places where you can sort of feed the birds and they come and land on your head and they land on your arms and all the colourful parrots in Australia? I, that's one of, I really enjoy doing those things. When I first came to Australia, one of the things I like about Australia the most is the parrots. They're so colourful and beautiful. We don't have any birds that look like that in England, I can tell you. But, um, but yeah, to, to just, you know, to be able to hand, have your hand held out with the seed in it and the birds to land on you and they're landing on your head and for them not to be afraid of you and I. 
I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Do you ever have that experience? I think it's kind of a universal experience when you look into the face of a little puppy or a little kitten and you just go, ah. You know? The natural world will be a wonder world again. The animals will be tame and we will be able to engage with them on a level that I just don't think we have any comprehension of right now. In Isaiah 33 verse 24 it says, And the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. Some of you are going to have to think of other things to talk about. Because, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, I had a bad back and, oh, my neck was so... I remember Dr. James Thompson was talking about this and there was somebody and they were complaining about just about everything and he thought, I'll try a a trick on her. I'll say, this lady was complaining and he said, do your teeth itch? (laughs) And she said, come to think of it. Sometimes we just like to complain, but the Bible says that in that land, the inhabitant will not say that I am sick. You don't have to worry about ever getting sick ever again. That's an amazing thing. I have a son, he's 20 years of age, and for the last 18 years, he's lived with type 1 diabetes. And we used to kneel down as a little family and have family worship when he was two years of old and then three years of age, and he had diabetes, and we said... And we were praying all his life, we've been praying, we can't wait till Jesus comes. Because he's not going to have diabetes anymore. And there are a lot of people who live with chronic sickness and chronic illness. But it's not going to be that way in the new earth. And that's something we can look forward to. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine? I remember seeing um, a documentary of a boy who had been deaf all his life. And I think he was about 10 years of age. And they were able to put an implant in his ear. And he was able to hear for the first time, hears his mother's voice and hear music and the, the, the look on his face, the, the expression on his face when he could hear for the first time in his life. And it says, the tongue of the dumb shall sing. I'm guessing we'll all be singing there, right? Even if you don't think you can sing, we'll all be singing there. The Bible even says that God is going to sing over his people. Can you imagine that? God is going to sing a song of joy over his people. What a fantastic experience that will be. I'm not going to miss that. Isaiah 40 verse 31, it says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's going to be nice not to get tired, isn't it? It says here, they'll mount up with wings like eagles. Sometimes people ask me, does this mean that we'll be able to fly? I don't know. I remember um, when I first came to Australia, it was in Western Australia, and I learned to scuba dive over there. And I thought it was the most fantastic thing because you're under there in the ocean and you're practically weightless, right? And you can tumble and you can move in any direction. It's like flying, right? That's just underwater. And then I remember seeing a um, documentary on the International Space Station 
and I think it was narrated by Tom Cruise, and he was talking about the different astronauts there, and they're flying through, you know, they're sort of pushing themselves around, and there's no gra gravity, and they're flying through this International Space Station. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be great? You know, if we can create environments where that's possible, don't underestimate what God can do, right? I mean, the Bible says that when Jesus returns, where are we meeting him? We're going to meet him in the air, right? Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if we will just suddenly have the ability, because the Bible says we're going to be changed, right, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know if we can have that ability to lift off the ground or whether it's just going to be one angel on this hand and one angel on this hand and ready to go, boys, off we go. I mean, that's going to be terrific anyway, right? So one way or another, we're going to meet the Lord in the air and that's going to be fabulous. So I'm looking forward to that too. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Another thing it tells us in Isaiah 35 verse 1, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. I'm not going to have these vast deserts. I wonder what Australia will look like. There's a lot of desert in the middle of Australia, right? I remember we, um, we had spent four years of our life living in this part of the world some years ago and we moved back down to Victoria for five years and we went to a town called Bendigo. And at that time, Bendigo was coming towards the end of a 10-year drought. I mean, they had hardly seen any rain. It was like 42 degrees when we moved into our house. And the backyard, it was just like a dust bowl, you know? I mean, just really barren. And we had some playing fields over the road, and we thought, oh, that'll be great. We'll be able to kick a, kick a ball around with my son, Daniel. Um, but you went over there, and there was barely any weeds, you know, between the patches of dirt... But then about a year and a half after we moved there, the drought broke and the rains came. And you had all these fantastic flowers, you know, springing up out of the ground. That, you'd, you know, we didn't even know they were there. But the rain came and the grass grew and the flowers bloomed and it was beautiful. And I can just imagine what it's going to be like when the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. In Isaiah 65, 21 and 22, it says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall the days of my people and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. You're going to be able to build a house and live in it and it's not going to fall down. And I want you to think about what, what would you like to build your house out of? Gold? Silver? Precious stones? Marble? I don't know. You, you can start to use your imagination about what you might like to build your house out of because I guess there's going to be unlimited resources. You can start to use your imagination about that. But we're going to plant vineyards and we'll eat from them. It's going to be a wonderful place. Some people be, believe, you remember we put that Time magazine cover on the screen and had a man standing on a cloud looking up, you know, looking for paradise. Some people believe that heaven's going to be boring. They kind of think, you know, some people have this view that like all the rock stars, they're going to hell and they're all having a party down there. And all the boring people, they're going to heaven, so it's going to be really boring in heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
When Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, he's talking about down here in the here and now. How much more in the heavens and the earth made new? You know, God is going to give us the desire of our hearts. We're going to do things. We're going to be real people. It's going to be a real place. And the Lord will be there as well. Isaiah 66 verses 22 and 23, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Now we read this verse out before when we were talking about the Sabbath, and the perpetuate, the perpetu, the perpetuity, how do you, you pronounce that word? I don't know. The ongoing nature of the Sabbath, right? And that the Sabbath will be kept in the new earth. But we read this part about the new moon. What does that have to do with anything? Well, how often does the new moon come around? Once a month, right? Once a month. In the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us something about the paradise to come. It says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb, in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations. So not only are we going to gather before the Lord and worship each Sabbath, but we're going to gather before the Lord each month to eat from the tree of life because it bears a new fruit each month. That'll be cool. You know, the Bible says that in the Garden of Eden, one of the reasons they left the Garden of Eden because God said, lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. So we're going to have access to the tree of life. So it makes sense to me that we would be gathering every new moon, every month, to eat from the tree of life. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It's not going to be boring in heaven. It's going to be a wonder world. You won't want to miss it. It's going to be the best you can possibly imagine and then a whole lot more. Well, the Bible tells us that not only will we inherit the earth? We already talked about the fact that we're going to go to heaven for a thousand years. Jesus is preparing a place for us. He's in his father's house and many mansions. That new Jerusalem is going to come back down to earth and it's going to remain here on the earth. In fact, God is going to move the capital of the universe from wherever it is now to planet earth. And in the book of Hebrews 11, 9 and 10, it's talking about people of faith. And it says, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, uh, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Talking about Abraham here. The heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. There is a city that God has built. And that is the new Jerusalem. And that new Jerusalem is going to return to earth after the thousand years with us in it and we are going to live there. So 
you may have worked out that we're going to build homes and inhabit them on the earth, so we're going to have a home in the city and a home in the country. Do you like that? We're going to have a home in the city that God has prepared for us. And then we get to go out into the country and uh, what do you think? Should we build it here? Oh, didn't read that verse. Here we go. Revelation 21, 19. Talking about the city now, we want to turn our directions to what does the Bible say about this heavenly city? What does the Bible tell us about the new Jerusalem? It says the foundations of the walls. Remember here, it says he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It tells us in Revelation 21, 19 that the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. So the foundations of this city are not, you know, made with concrete, but they are adorned with all kinds of precious stones. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the 12 foundations of this city, they have the names of the 12 apostles on them. And sort of this makes sense because the 12 apostles, they're kind of symbolic for the people of God in the New Testament. The 12 tribes, they're symbolic of the people of God in the Old Testament. And this is going to be the home of God's people. So the foundations have the 12 apostles' names on them. It tells us here, it says, Then he measured its wall 144 cubits. Remember the other night we talked about the 144,000? This is the home of the saved, the New Jerusalem, and its wall is 144 cubits. That's about 64 metres. Now it doesn't say if it's 64 metres high or 64 metres thick. So you can sort of work that out, but you're going to find out that the New Jerusalem is pretty big. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. I don't know how, what that's going to look like because pearls are usually spherical, right? But it says the 12 gates, there are 12 gates in this city and the 12 gates are 12 pearls. It also said she had a great high and high wall with 12 gates. The names written on them Sorry, and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So it has 12 foundations, which are named after the 12 apostles. It has 12 gates, which are named after the 12 tribes of Israel. What else can we learn about this city? It says, Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Now I should say this. You know, gates are often used to keep people out, Right? But these gates are to let people in. God is leaving the gates open. It says they won't be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Now some people have wondered about this. I don't know if I uh, put this, this verse in the Bible. So I'll put it, I don't know if I put this one in the presentation. So I'll mention it here. Have you ever been to a city that's really lit up at night? I remember going to Hong Kong and... A very busy city, Hong Kong, right? And I, I, I think we were, uh, we were at Kowloon. And I remember waking up at about four o'clock in the morning, sticking my head out of the window of this high-rise apartment that we were in in Hong Kong. And the city was as busy as it was at 4 a.m. as it was at 4 p.m. You know, it was just still buzzing. And all the neon lights were on, you know. So the point being that it was almost like there was no night there because of all the street lights, you know, and all the, the neon lights. 
And because people wonder, will there still be the sun and the moon? My guess is that there will. We know that we're going to gather every new moon, right? And if we're going to gather every Sabbath, we're only going to know that if there are actually days. So I'm guessing there'll be still the sun and the moon. But in the city, there'll be no night there because it's blazing with light. We're going to find why it's blazing with light in a moment. It says, Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. It says, The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So notice this verse doesn't say there is no sun or moon. It just says the city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it. It has its own power generating source, right? It has its own source of light and that is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The Bible says of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. He was the one at creation that made the world. You remember on day one and God said, let there be light and there was light. That's day one of creation. The sun, the moon and the stars doesn't even mention them till day four. And people say, well, where did the light come from? Well, maybe it came from Jesus. The Lamb is its light. Jesus is the light of the world and he'll be the light of that city. Furthermore, it tells us, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. You've probably heard about the streets of gold, right? And this is where it comes from. The streets of the city of God will be made out of gold. You won't be worrying about getting gold to heaven because it will be in abundance. It says the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. So notice that. It's laid out a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. Now what's that? Well, 12,000 furlongs. Well, a furlong is a fifth of a kilometre. 12,000 furlongs is 2,400 kilometres. Now, is that 2,400 kilometres around the entire perimeter of the city? And if that's the case, that's probably what it looks like on a map of Australia. Or is 2,400 kilometres just one side? And if that's the case, well, it's off the map. In other words, this city is going to be big, right? Even if you're going to go with that, it's almost the size of New South Wales, right? That's a city. It's been estimated that there's enough room in that city for 30 billion people. There's room enough for you. You know, you think about the story of Noah and the ark. Most people that you meet who don't believe in the story of Noah and the ark basically have two objections. Number one, they say, well... How could you get all the animals on the boat? And number two, the boat mustn't have been big enough. And it's very interesting to ask the people, well, how big do you think the boat was? And they have no idea. 
And how many animals do you think needed to get on the boat? And they have no idea. But somebody's done a feasibility study of that and they've worked out that the animals took up less than 5% of the ark. In other words, there was plenty of room in the boat to save more people. And yet incredibly, the Bible tells us that only eight people got on board the boat. After 120 years of Noah preaching that the world's going to come to end in a great flood, and not only preaching, he's building this boat. It's in there, it's in the background. They're building the boat. You get the impression he really believes that this message is true. His life conveys the fact that this message is true. And only eight people get on board the boat. And it wasn't because there wasn't enough room. The New Jerusalem has plenty of room for you. It has plenty of room for your family, for your neighbours, for your work colleagues. The things that we've been learning in this series... They're not just a point of interest. It's not just something, well, that's fascinating. This is really life and death stuff. This is really the most important stuff there is. God has given this message in the scriptures because he wants people to prepare for eternity. He wants people to be ready. He wants people to take their place in the place he's prepared for them in the new Jerusalem. You know, New York City, they reckon, I don't know how many people live there now, but they reckon about 8.4 million people lived there a few years ago. But there's new room in the New Jerusalem for you. Plenty of room for you. The Bible says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. The things that we remember from this life that caused us sadness, we're going to get over those things. There is going to be healing. God is going to wipe our tears away. It says, and there shall be no more curse. You realise that the earth has been cursed three times? When uh, Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, God mentioned that there would be several consequences of that action and one of them was that the the earth was not going to yield its produce as easily. And then they left the Garden of Eden and then of course we come to chapter 4 where two of Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel as we mentioned last night when we talked about the mark of the beast program, we talked about the mark of Cain. Cain kills Abel and God says, because you have spilt your brother's blood on the ground, the earth is cursed. The earth, once again, would have been affected by that, God says. And then finally, of course, the flood. When the flood came, it decimated the earth. So even when we look out on the earth today, we still see some pretty places, don't we? There's still some beautiful places on planet earth. Can you imagine what it used to be like before the curse? It says, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. 
This is um, incredible to understand. That God is not just transporting us here so we can live here. He's going to stay here with us. He's going to live with us. God with us. All the incredible things that God is planning for the redeemed of perfect health, perfect youth, perfect environment, perfect neighbours. you imagine that? Perfect other living creatures for us to enjoy. All of those things are just additional extras. The glory of heaven, the glory of paradise will be living with God on a daily basis. We will see him face to face. That's the goal. And you see, this is the whole point of what I've been saying about it. It's we who get to choose if we're going to live forever. Because God has already paid the price. God has already chosen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God has already chosen to save us. We get to choose whether we respond to that or not. Why on earth would we choose not to go? I mean, what are your other options, really? God is wanting us to make that choice. The Bible says in Isaiah 35, verse 10, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. There's going to be no more sorrow. You know, at the end of the Bible, I'm going to read this. Revelation chapter 22. Verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is pleading with us, come, come back to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is pleading, come, the Spirit and the bride. Now who's the bride? We talked a little bit about this this morning. The bride is the church, right? It's the believers. It's the group of believers. They're called the bride of Christ. So the Spirit is appealing to people to come back to God. But the bride is also appealing to people. And then it says, the spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears come. No, sorry, I got that wrong. Let him who hears say come. If you have heard the call of God during this series and you have chosen that you're going to come back to God, God is saying to you, will you call somebody else? Let him who hears say come. Will you call somebody else? Will you give somebody else an opportunity to hear the call of God? The spirit and the bride say come. Let him who hears say come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let them take the water of life freely. It seems to me that the world is thirsting to death. Right? They're, they're just parched. 
They're waiting for that water of life that only God can give. We want to respond to God. We want to say, Lord, we want that free water of life. Is that your determination? Is that your desire? That you want to say, this paradise that God is preparing for us, that we want to take our place in that paradise. We want to respond to the Spirit's calling. We want to say, yes, Lord, we want to come. We want to come home. We want to come home. Is that your intention? If that's your intention, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet tonight at the end of this meeting. Just stand to your feet where you are. You want to accept God's invitation to come home and to experience paradise where Jesus will live with us forever. Just stand to your feet and we're going to bow our heads and we're going to ask God to bless us. Let's pray together. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we marvel at your great love for us. We marvel at your amazing grace that you should see our condition and choose to come to this darkened world and to live as we have to live, to die on a cross, to show us what God was like, to pay the price for our sins and then to rise again, to give us the guarantee of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for that opportunity, Lord. Thank you for what you've given us through the prophets in the scripture. Thank you for the promises we find there that you will soon return and you will take us home to paradise beyond the stars to a place that you have prepared for us. We want to say tonight, Lord, we want to accept that invitation to take up that place that you have prepared for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We look forward to your coming. May we be vessels through whom you can work to reach other people, that they too may hear the invitation and might respond so that they too will be ready when Jesus comes and that cannot be far away. Our prayer, Lord, is come Lord Jesus. May we be ready. Thank you that we can be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.